Good morning Redeemer King and anybody else watching, it's good to have you with us. Um, today we're going to be finishing a, a short mini-series in the Book of Acts. Um, but before that, let's just remember that today is Pentecost Sunday, when we remember that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church for the very first time in fulfilment of what God had promised through the prophet Joel. And uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter quotes Joel uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 16 where he says all that this all that is happening is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, comes to dwell within every believer. So if you've repented of your sin uh, and you've trusted in Christ as your Saviour and Lord, uh, then you are a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit. Um, and this, pr this promise was stated by Peter at the end of that sermon. Uh, where he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Pentecost, we remember that the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out on the church for the first time. But that leads to another question. What is the Spirit's role in our lives? Now, I could list a lot of things uh, that the Spirit does. He reveals the truth. Uh, he convicts us of sin. He, he guides us. He transforms us uh, and much more. But rather than just give a long list, essentially, uh, the, I think the Spirit's work is focused on two areas. Uh, on the one hand, the Spirit unites us uh, to Christ. And therefore, we share in the love that exists between the Father and the Son. And on the other hand, the Spirit unites us with God's purposes for the world, which is one of transformation. So the Spirit was given that we might share in the life of God, as well as to equip us to do the work of God in the world. Sharing in the life of God and doing the work of God. But that leads to another question. What exactly is the work of God in the world? What is the mission of the church? Why does it exist? What's it for? Now, we will get to uh, Acts 18 shortly, um, but I just want to sort of come at this question uh, by just reflecting for a few minutes on the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, which uh, Jesus told in Luke chapter 10 as an example 
of loving your neighbour. I'm not going to retell the story. I think it's so well known. Uh, everybody knows uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and no one seriously doubts that the church um, is to act with compassion towards the weak and the vulnerable. The church has been characterised by acts of mercy throughout history. Indeed, one of the things that most impressed uh, the ancient world was the way Christians loved each other and cared for the needs of the poor and the dispossessed, the orphans and other marginalised groups. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it meant caring for the victim of crime, the man who had been set upon by robbers. And Jesus says, we are to go and do likewise. Um, and so in the 21st century, I think all Christians would agree that the church needs to be rolling up its sleeves and getting involved in the mess of this world, showing compassion uh, and sharing the love of Christ. Even the Prime Minister and the Mayor of London have recognised the positive contribution that Christians make to society. And indeed, if Christians stop doing the things they do, I'm not sure our society would hold together. So we've got to care uh, for the victims, the, the people who are hurting and broken, the victims of this cruel world. But some Christians go further. They would say, no, it's not enough just to care for the victims. We also need to try and make a better world. We've got to try and bring about change, a more just society. We need to make a better, safer world so that the people travelling the Jericho Road don't get attacked and robbed. And that's what politics is all about. Now, it may be boring to many people, but actually it's how things change in this world. So the politically minded Christian will read the parable of the Good Samaritan and go back to the Jericho Road and, and, and think about improving the street lighting or installing CCTV cameras or making sure there are enough police to enforce the law, making sure criminals are punished for their crimes, campaigning for better wages and working conditions, providing employment for all so that people are not tempted into crime. Inevitably, if you want to make a difference in those kinds of ways, you end up in politics. Now, Christians may come to different conclusions about what needs to be done. And we need to remember that there are Christians in all political parties. But there is a strong case for involvement in the political process in order to affect society for the better. What we mustn't do is turn our backs. And yet. When we read the New Testament, neither of these things appears to be the priority. Of course, we need to pick up the pieces in a broken world. And yes, we need to get political if we want to change society. But the church has an even more important mission, and that is to change the human heart. You see, in the parable, a man is attacked by robbers. The mission of the church isn't simply to pick up the pieces after it has happened, although we must do that. Nor is it to make it difficult for robbers to attack people in the first place, although that too would be a good thing to do. No, fundamentally, the mission of the church is to change the human heart so that those who would be robbers don't want to do it in the first place. 
And the only thing that can change the human heart is the gospel, the message about Jesus, the good news. And that brings us uh, back to Acts, because that is why in the book of Acts, we see Paul traveling around the Roman Empire, proclaiming the gospel, which he describes in his first letter to the Corinthians as the power of God for salvation. This gospel, this message is what changes people and transforms them. And we need to have very clear convictions about that. In another letter to the same church, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. It is the gospel that brings about transformation. And this, this is why Paul travelled as he did and was prepared to put up with persecution and hardship along the way. He was compelled to preach this message and so too should we be. And Acts is written to remind us of our priorities. The spirit is given to empower us for witness. And that is the primary mission of the church. So we conclude our, our short series in Acts today in Corinth. Uh, we've been following Paul on his second missionary journey as the gospel comes to Europe for the first time. And on a five city tour, we've stopped at Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea and Athens. And now Paul comes to Corinth. So Acts 18, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 22. Uh, so Paul in Corinth. Corinth was the capital city of the Roman province of Achaia. It was a mega city in its time with uh, three quarters of a million people. It was the commercial centre of the ancient world, it had two seaports. Uh, it was a relatively new and prosperous city. And its people were proud of its achievements. But it was also a very immoral city. In fact, to be Corinthian was a byword for sexual immorality. The temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, was at the top of a mountain and she was served by a thousand female slaves who roamed the city at night as prostitutes. Its size, its significance and its reputation made it a necessary destination for the Apostle Paul. So how does Paul go about preaching the gospel in Corinth? Uh, so I'm just going to pick out a number of principles uh, from uh, Acts 18. So firstly, he establishes contact and builds a team. He establishes contact and he builds a team. So let's just read the first few verses. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, um, uh, a ministry couple uh, where the woman uh, is named first, uh, suggesting that she was the more sort of prominent of the, of the pair. Um, they would become significant partners with Paul uh, in his mission, first here in Corinth and then later in Ephesus as well. And they had ended up there because they'd fled persecution in Rome. Uh, and once again, it's just a little example, isn't it, of God's sovereignty, that what for them had been a great trial, no doubt, was in fact the means he used to get them to Corinth uh, to meet Paul so that they could serve a greater purpose. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, Silas and Timothy 
arrive from Macedonia. So Paul has already four other people uh, in his team. And uh, it's just well, it's an important point, really, that Paul was not a lone ranger. He, he didn't do it alone. He was not a one man band. He, he needed other people. And throughout his letters, there are references to his co-workers and his mission partners. He could not have done it without them. You see, Paul was a pioneer. He was breaking up ground. He was planting churches. But he can't do it on his own. And it's just a reminder to us, really, that mission is a shared responsibility. Um, and the, the primary means of mission in the world is the church as a body, plural. Uh, so the church is not only the result of mission, that when you preach the gospel, you get converts who then join or become churches. The church is also the means of mission. It is through that church, that community, that the gospel is continues to go out into society. So Paul's strategy then was to plant churches and the mission was then carried forward by those churches. So that's the first principle. He, he establishes contact and he builds his team. Uh, secondly, we see Paul found a way in to the culture. Uh, there in verse three, it says, because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, I think that's more than just an incidental detail. Um, it's about Paul adapting himself to the culture. Remember in Athens, he'd become a philosopher. Uh, well, in Corinth, he became a manual labourer. The word translated as tent maker is really leather worker. But since tents were basically leather awnings, um, it's fair to say he was a tent maker. But this means that he worked to support himself so he wouldn't be a burden on anyone. And that wasn't just a financial necessity. That was a part of an evangelistic strategy because it opened up doors so that he could meet more people. Um, working in this way was his way in to the culture, uh, enabled him to engage with people. He adapts himself to his surroundings. And that's part of what it means to be a missionary or to be mission minded. Um, because it's in the context of shared life and community that we get to share the gospel. And so we need to work out how that can happen. Now, we're all probably part of multiple communities. We're, we're part of our family community. Our, our families are a, a community. Um, there's our, our neighbours, the people who live close to us. Uh, there's our work colleagues, people we spend a vast amount of our lives with. Um, and then there's people we mix with socially, uh, our friends in the cycling club or the football team or the running group. See, mission is all about connection. And evangelism can't happen unless we are connected with the culture. Preaching to strangers in the street may be you know, appropriate for some to, to whom God calls to that particular ministry. But normally, I think God will work along relational lines. He will use you in the context in which you are placed. We're all missionaries, so we need to find a way into our world. That's the second thing. Thirdly, he remains faithful to the gospel. Verses four to six. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this was a typical pattern for Paul. Firstly, in a new place, he'd go and preach to the Jews in the synagogue. Uh, we've seen that a number of times already. Um, and then usually when persecution arose, he would then go to the Gentiles. But here again, we see his main strategy was to preach in the synagogue every Sabbath. Um, and th there's a change after Silas and Timothy arrive. Uh, we think this is because they brought the gift from Philippi which enabled Paul to then preach full time. But what was he trying to do in his preaching? Well, he was trying to persuade the Jews that the Messiah they were expecting from the scriptures was none other than Jesus. Uh, and notice the language that is used to describe what Paul was doing. It says he reasoned with them, he persuaded them. Um, and I think Josh touched on this uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, if um, if we believe the gospel is true, uh, then it must be possible to engage with people intellectually. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth, isn't he? And wherever he went and proclaimed this message, uh, Paul experienced opposition, but he refused to change the message. And he continues to preach that Jesus is the Messiah, even in the face of hostility. Now, we might be tempted to change the message to make it more palatable to the modern mind. Now, of course, nobody minds the church running food banks or providing debt counselling. Everybody applauds that. But people do mind being told they're sinners who need Christ. And our responsibility uh, is to get that message out. We're not responsible for the response. People are free to say no. God respects that freedom as well, and, and so should we. If people want to remain independent from God, that's up to them. But we must keep on preaching Christ. The message doesn't change. So Paul is faithful uh, in preaching the gospel. Fourthly, fourth principle is Paul shows flexibility in his methods. Verses seven and eight. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Uh, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. The message doesn't change, but the location does. Paul takes the radical step of moving to the house next door. Paul abandoned the public synagogue, and found a new centre for his ministry in a private home. And the result of this new approach was immediate fruit, as many uh, believed. Now, people living in Britain in the 21st century, many of them are still reluctant to go inside a church building. Lots of people find the church building itself threatening. So how do we reach the people who don't come to church? Well, we've learned through lockdown, haven't we, that technology certainly has a role to play. Uh, we can engage with people um, who wouldn't otherwise um, 
get connected. But of course, meeting over Zoom or, or in some technological format uh, like that uh, falls short of the person-to-person -person contact that is really needed for authentic community. Now, Paul's philosophy uh, for mission really is summed up in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, the letter he wrote to the, this church in Corinth. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. The gospel then calls for total faithfulness in not changing the message. But there is complete freedom to adapt our methods. Pragmatism is biblical. So Paul shows faithfulness to the message but flexibility in his methods. And then finally, we see that Paul did not give up, verses 9 to 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now, in the past, opposition had often meant Paul leaving a city, but this time he stays. And this can be explained by the special encouragement that he received from God in the form of a vision. Now, Paul tells us elsewhere that he had gone to Corinth in weakness and fear. Now he's told not to be afraid and not to be silent, but rather to keep on speaking for God. For God is with him. And there's a promise of protection there, but also a promise of greater fruitfulness. God assures Paul that more people will respond to the message and be saved. And that leads to Paul staying in Corinth for a year and a half. In fact, this appears to mark a significant turning point with, with Paul now opting for longer periods of ministry rather than short visits. He would actually remain in Corinth for over two years, and then he would go on to Ephesus and spend three years there. And I think the lesson is that building churches takes time. There are no shortcuts. We need to take a long term view and we need to stick at it. We need to persevere. We have to believe the promises that God is with us, looking after us and that there are people in Chesterfield and beyond who he wants to save. It may be a hard place to build church. Well, I'm not sure there are any easy places, to be honest, but this is where God wants us to be. This is where he has placed us. And we must persevere in the task. So what is the primary mission of the church? To come back to that question I asked at the beginning, 
Well, it's to do as Paul did, to teach the word of God. And the principles are the same today as they were then. We need to make contact with people. We need to engage with the culture. We need to be flexible in our methods. We must remain faithful to the message and we must persevere in the task that God has given us. May God's spirit enable us to do just that. Amen. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
Come with joy. 